0: If you remove Ramaphosa from the ANC now, you probably—I mean, I'll, I'll, I won't fence it—you probably push the ANC vote down to 40% or below of the of the national vote. So it doesn't really matter if you if you chase him out uh, and and put the sort of radical faction in charge. So that would virtually assure that that radical faction could not command on its own. a a national majority.
1: Hello, my name is Donald and welcome to the number one media company, Worldview. At Worldview, we explore everyone's perspectives on all things that can broaden our world view. Today, we're talking again with the former CEO of the Institute of Race Relations, the political sage Dr. Franz Cronier. Franz, welcome back to the show. So what do you think of Ramaphosa's current predicament? It seems like we don't know what to call it yet. Uh, Farmgate, Palapala Gate, Ramaphosa Gate, trellidor Gate. Uh, What do you think of Ramaphosa's current situation?
0: Look, it's just a compounding effect of, um, of his now, how many years, four or five years since he became leader of the ANC. When he contested and beat uh, Zuma at that uh, ANC conference, he was polling very far ahead of his rival, Dr. Dlamini Zuma. In the subsequent election in 2019, he was polling about 10 points stronger than the ANC itself. And now the ANC came in at 57. It hadn't been for the Ramaphosa effect, It would have come in uh, uh, considerably below that number. The most recent stuff on Ramaphosa shows considerable public sympathy for him still. Now, that's all been tested ahead of the pilot pilot thing, but I don't think that's going to skew the picture considerably. The view amongst uh, ANC voters and opposition voters alike remains that Ramaphosa is a good and decent person. And that he's doing his very best under impossible circumstances. And that he would succeed but for his colleagues in the ANC. I mean, colleagues he himself appointed. But the you, you must always account in, in public opinion research for some internal contradictions. Uh, opposition voters, as, as much as ANC voters, believe that uh, had he had better colleagues, he would have been successful. Uh, They see him as the far away, the uh, most compelling political figure in the country. But the most recent stuff also suggests that the public is reaching a point where they do not believe that he will succeed either in rescuing the ANC, and, and certainly not in in rescuing the country and turning it around, and and this most recent business of, of the money under the bed, uh, or the mattress, or wherever it was hidden, um, will just compound that a little bit. But it won't alter the the overall trajectory or, or position of Mr Ramaphosa as I've just described to you.
1: But France, um, it seems like the anti Ramaphosa faction will need more of this to get rid of him because I mean the competition to Ramaphosa isn't very strong I mean if you're going to make the argument okay he's a bit corrupt the other figures like Ace Maghashule is far more corrupt so you're going to need more of this to get rid of him isn't that so yeah
0: I mean it would be quite foolish if you were inside the ANC and uh, and the ANC's longevity was for you a priority to get rid of Mr Ramaphosa now you ask the broader public a question uh, that the media often articulates, but, but a bit unthinkingly about whether there's a good ANC and a bad ANC, the, the public says, absolutely, that's exactly how it is. There's, there's this good group that are trying to do the right thing, and they're held back by the bad group. And, and if you go further and say, well, who are the leaders of the bad group, uh, people can list for you and the number of names, you know, all, all the usual uh, suspects and the like. But if you if you say well okay and and the good group who leads that you know it's, it's Cyril Ramaphosa and you say oh okay fine and 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 behind him and there's absolutely nothing what that means and 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 read against the fact that he polls so much stronger than the ANC and read further against the ANC's local government result that one where they came in just below 50. Uh, Two years or so ago, is that if you remove Ramaphosa from the ANC now, you probably—I mean, I'll, I'll, I won't fence it—you probably push the ANC vote down to 40% or below of the of the national vote. So it doesn't really matter if you if you chase him out uh, and and put the sort of radical faction in charge so that would virtually assure that that radical faction could not command on its own a a national majority um with within the country ramaphosa is really the only way that the ANC could looking to 2024 when south africa again has a national poll uh, think of of securing its national majority and and even with him the the, the trends as as we read them now are uh, that 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 uh, a majority for the ANC even with him is is no longer assured
1: but France, who do you think is responsible for this idea that Ramaphosa is the good good guy is it journalists who just like to believe this is it the propagated effort by the ANC who is responsible for this why do we believe it from because so many evidence points to the opposite fact I mean he was the head of the cater deployment unit for like almost a decade so why do we believe he is the good guy
0: yeah well well not, not all of us believe that from the start um, but but the great majority of people did and and uh, in, in my former guys um, we were we were cautious. On Ramaphosa after he came to power, in, in the sense that we did not go along with the thesis that a great reformation was at hand. And I can tell you from 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 uh, uh, explaining that to various audiences and clients at the time that they were very angry uh, with with the with the messengers for for telling them that. And, and those views have shifted over time. Why why do we believe it? I think there are a few things. One is Mr. Ramaphosa has a very capable media and strategic team around him. It's not necessarily the same team as that in the ANC, but, but these are good guys that know exactly what they're doing in shaping public opinion. That's number one. Number two, I think the South African media, uh, on the whole, uh, is bereft of the sort of depth of of analytical thinking and writing that would uh, cause it en masse to see through such public relations efforts. Third reason, I think, is that the business community and to an extent the diplomatic community feels that they are obliged uh, to echo the uh, kind of uh, reformist message that was put together by that very capable uh, Ramaphosa team. And a further reason is, um, is hope. You can't actually um, expect a group of people, a country, a society as we are, to abandon all hope. And if people did not uh, hope for Ramaphosa to succeed, the, 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 the consequence would be they would have to say they they did not see any hope at all uh, for themselves. And that's that's just psychologically a, a point to which you cannot very easily drive a person. Now, had had elements in in the opposition, or perhaps the media been been more critical, or, or business been more um, uh, less uh, inclined to try and echo uh, the the sort of his master's voice from Pretoria, I think the public would have seen that there are alternatives around. Now that that is starting uh, the the coalition thesis, we might get into that a bit in this discussion people are starting to look at, at alternatives but but initially the belief in Ramaphosa was a function of very capable uh, opinion shaping matched with uh, um, less than than critical um, analysis amongst diplomats the business community and the media
1: yeah on that note France we, we recently spoke to John Stiernazen, and he believes that the ANC by the end of the year, we'll split into two factions. Um, I don't think that's likely because I don't think the anti-Ramaphosa faction has a base. But what do you think of that theory that the ANC won't survive past 2022 as we know it today?
0: Well, look, it's in a terrible state. You know, um, the, the the great ANC. I mean, the ANC has had many splits uh, throughout its history. It starts in the. Early decades as a fairly staid and conservative uh, organization, probably be described as conservative by today's standards. It, it takes a big uh, swing to the left at 1969 in Tanzania at its famous Morogoro conference. It swallows hook, line, and sinker the the, the thesis of national democratic revolution. It takes another enormous swing at Davos in ni- in 1992. Mandela makes a speech in which he says it will be quite pragmatic, and it later is fairly pragmatic. I mean, it, 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 thirteen years into government, it's racked up a budget surplus. So you know, there, there you go. I mean, we're in in the uh, capitalist West or, or what's left of it. It's not quite as 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 Western as the West used to be. Uh, do you find that? And then it takes another enormous swing, uh, really, back to the left. Um, after the defeat of Thabo and in 2007 so so the anc has shifted ideological poles a, a time and again throughout its history on on its its most recent split was that in 2007 uh, when and rejected and the what pragmatism was in in inherent in his government and uh, i i think that is perhaps the final split that the anc is going to have and what you you see today in in the party is really the 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 remnants that couldn't find opportunities in in business or the private sector or or elsewhere i don't think the ideological divide in the anc is as deep as the good anc bad anc thesis suggests i mean you, you recall that that Mr. Zuma's uh, caucus in Parliament voted against expropriation. It was Mr. Ramaphosa that voted in favour of it, and his caucus that drove it so aggressively. And I think that uh, the 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 post two thousand and seven ANC has been on a downward slide, and that continues to accelerate. And it's a, a group of individuals who, in fact, have far more in common with each other than what divides them, and. Uh, on on the trends as we read them now, whether it's 2022 that they fall apart internally or in the aftermath of the 2024 election, or whether they hang on for another five years and uh, and, uh, make it to 2029 before they then splinter and fall apart. These are dates we're talking about, the the critical uh, 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 issue is that the uh, demise of that party is now at hand and we are seeing it uh, day by day, step by step. It's just a question of when um, does it cease to be a, a definitive influence on the political and economic evolution of the country.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to move over to a, a discussion of coalitions. But before we do that, Franz, you've, you've always said that there's a correlation between economic growth and the ANC support. Um, and for example, higher growth means higher support for the ANC. But uh, haven't you also said that the ANC realized that economic growth means their voters become more educated and then they're less willing to vote for that party? Isn't there a contradiction there? Which one is it?
0: Of course, there's a contradiction. I mean, it's, it's, you must allow politicians to carry off contradictions. Uh, the, a, a, a former colleague of mine put it best. He said that, that the ANC in government is an amazing party. It's, it's able to uh, pursue two mutually annihilating ideas at the same time. And that's true of it. The ANC does well in its first decade in government in in the greater scheme of things. Its living standards are improving. The number of people with jobs does increase quite substantially. Service delivery uh, data is much more impressive than the party was given credit for. And 10 years in, in 2004, the ANC is uh, six percentage points stronger in that year's election than when Mandela had led it to liberation a decade before. I think, and that was my own, it's not, it's not a, I'm not surmising, it was my direct experience, that the ANC knew that, it understood it. It was well understood that, that, it's, that its increased uh, parliamentary uh, majority was a consequence of the socio-economic successes it had achieved in government in that first decade. And the better people probably bought the story too, even, even then, that if they reversed those successes, they would see their political fortunes uh, erode. But in parallel with that was a second battle, and that was the internal ideological battle of, of in, in the party, the one that thought that the policies pursued, or some of those pursued during the Mbeki era, were right-wing Washington consensus, uh, neoliberal and so they attacked those policies and and tore them down and that as much as state capture is what uh, turned south africa's economic fortunes uh, and and reversed them and then on the back of that began to reverse the socio-economic progress that the country had made and i i i i saw the the people who made those decisions now i looked them in the eye and um, if you understand politics at all, as, as an observer, let alone the ANC, you will know that there is no contradiction between pursuing an ideological agenda that you are, know will bring about your political demands and at the same time understanding that the policies you are now pursuing Will erode the reasons for your, uh, uh, that have underpinned your, your political success to date. And the ANC did that. It pursued two mutually annihilating ideas. It knew it needed living standards improvements to remain in power. It knew the policies it pursued after 2007 would erode that. And it, 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 it pursued both objectives simultaneously, uh, something it continues to do uh, to this day. I always found that that many of of the groups I I briefed, particularly if they were in business, you were only briefing them because they were in business, which meant they were successful. And business people were successful because when they encountered a problem, they did something about it. And the fatal analytical mistake business in South Africa, it's true globally too, uh, made of of the politicians who ruled over them, was to assume that the decision-making process in politics was the same as that in business. And and it wasn't. Mm. And that is is perhaps, we can add that to your earlier question, a reason why the the more naive in business felt that Ramaphosa would necessarily bring about reforms, because they knew that he understood that if economic uh, confidence was not restored and thereby growth and job creation, the ANC would not survive. And Mr. Ramaphosa knew that. But at the same time, he pursued policies that couldn't have those results. And that is the reason why uh, parties that control countries and governments lose power over time. And that is exactly the process that we're now seeing the final stages of uh, playing out in the ANC.
1: Yeah, in a, in a recent Nisport discussion, um, Nisport is an online YouTube channel, Davi Root made the point, I mean, we we say Ramaphosa is a businessman, but why do we say that? I mean, what has Ramaphosa created? What do we know this so-called businessman has created? It seems like all we don't know where he got his fortune from.
0: Well, he did very well and um, positioning himself politically to take advantage of the empowerment policies, he was central to 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 crafting. Um, uh, but but you can you can go back further in fact with, with Mr. Ramaphosa. he's he's really appeared four times the first as the union leader uh, prior to ninety four uh, very successful if you if you read the the official history In practice, more complicated, because he found, I think, in the executives of Anglo-American, or they found in him, the kind of ally they needed to bring about the South African uh, reformation. So you saw Mr. Ramaphosa in action, but you also saw the very shrewd advice, the very shrewd political operators that that ran that uh, company through those decades. Second time you encounter Mr. Ramaphosa, he's the great negotiator. He's, he's out foxed. You're told out negotiates it, out checkmated the National Party. Now the National Party at the end were not the the brightest uh, a lot out there. Um, out manoeuvring them in a negotiation is no great feat, and in any event, it's a misleading uh, representation of what happened in those negotiations, which were essentially directly between. Mr Mandela and Mr de Klerk and uh, the, the 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 people that ran between them were were running messages as much as anything the third time you meet Mr Ramaphosa he is the the great um businessman but he's, he's really taking advantage of the empowerment policies crafted uh, partly by himself and by by the party that he plays such a leading role in The fourth time we meet Mr. Ramaphosa, he is succeeding uh, Jacob Zuma at the end of a disastrous era for the ANC. Its support is already falling very quickly. But this time he does not have the benefit of the advice of the uh, uh, Michael Spices, Julian Ogilvy, Thompsons and the like that that were influential at Anglo-American. He doesn't have Mr. Mandela whispering in his ear. Mr. Mandela was very brilliant, very, very shrewd. He doesn't have uh, uh, a serious industrialists uh, offering him advice on what to do with the shareholdings and the companies that he's beginning to receive. He's in fact all on his own. His, his most senior uh, colleague is uh, David Mabusa. His uh, party's leadership includes in its ranks um, Ace Maheshula, JC Duarte and the like. These are not great reformers. The cabinet disproportionately influenced by the South African Communist Party. Uh, His government has run out of of electricity. It's running out of credibility. There's been in practice zero net new job creation for a decade and Mr. Ramaphosa fails. I, I think it's a bit harsh to say he failed. I think what he inherited uh, made it impossible for anyone but the most brilliant and ruthless reform-minded. I mean, it would have to be a Lee Kuan Yew, it would have to be a Park in Korea, it would have to be a Deng or a Thatcher or a Reagan, maybe a Mandela, to turn that around. And and he just came in too late in the day and and was was exposed for 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 not 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 being uh, uh, hopeless or so, but just. Just for I, I think had Mister put it this way, had Mister Ramaphosa inherited South Africa with an unemployment rate of ten percent and an economic growth rate of five percent, and no global crisis, financial crisis uh, in the decade prior to his coming to power, and no, after and Mandela, had he inherited? Yeah, I mean, they, they, yeah. Whether that was sustainable is another question too. But but let's say he inherited that country. With the ANC firmly ensconced in power, I think he would have come out of it as very good. I mean, he would have been been analysed. He would have been his. He would have been written up as having been a successful South African leader and president. Uh, um, he he just what what he inherited um, was was it, it had already after 2007 that that conference with the ANC makes its great final ideological turn. I think I think that was the point of the split. Uh, that was the point of the beginning of the end. And it's still the consequences of that conference of the party that, that we're talking about uh, together today and that the media, business people, diplomats think about uh, when they try to make sense of the country as they currently observe it.
1: Yeah, that's a very interesting way to put it. That sort of for years, Ramaphosa has leaned on other people Now he's in a position where he can't do that. He has to show leadership, and that's where his faults come to bear. But, 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 France, um, coalitions, do you think the oppositions are ready? The opposition parties are ready for 2024? Because it seems like we're in for a quite a chaotic
0: ride. You know, it, if we got a coalition government now which which we will we must i mean we're not a first past the post country uh, uh, electoral system uh, we have a very uh, diverse range of opinions uh, within the country a consumer choice and the like so we must evolve to a point i i i wrote in a recent article where our, our politics begins to resemble a hybrid of the current um, bundestag in Germany and, and the Knesset in Israel, where you have a plethora of parties. This is what South Africa will look like. I'll go out on a bit of a limb. This is what you will see. We'll be a country with a you know scores of parties represented in Parliament. The biggest is going to have about 20 or 25% of the vote. That party, as in the now breaking down Israeli coalition, will not necessarily be in government. The government will be formed by coalitions of parties that potentially represent a very wide ideological divide. And they will form uh, governments and those governments will break up again. the smaller parties having a disproportionate influence on things given their kingmaker status. That South Africa is different to everything we've had in, in politics and government for 400 years. Where over those four centuries, one group, not necessarily a political party, it might have been the British, might have been the Dutch, have had the ability as a single entity, a single group, to have a definitive influence on the trajectory the country is going to follow. That era is now coming to an end. The cultural shift in the political culture that 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 brings about is enormous. And I think we need to give opposition politicians, some time to adjust to this new reality. The rules in this kind of coalition stuff do start to change. The fact that you're the biggest party in the country does not mean you're in charge of what's going to happen next or even that you're going to get into government. The, the, the it, as unfair and, and so on, as it might seem to you as that party A small player with four or five seats in parliament has the ability to form a government or put a government together or break a government down. The um, personal animosities and competition between opposition parties has the potential to stall governments and break them down if these cannot be overcome. So you must expect that... In its early stages, we're seeing some of this now in in the cities of of there's Port Elizabeth. That's on the brink of this kind of thing. Um, of course, it's going to be messy, and of course, it's going to be unstable, and it is going to 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 to. But but give it time to to find itself. If you ask the public, what 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 do people want? The desire to see parties across the spectrum work together is very, very great. Uh, It it actually enthuses people. Not much of politics enthuses them, but the idea of working together does. That pressure means that parties that are seen as spoilers, that are not able to cooperate in um, uh, securing either local or regional or national coalition governments, are likely to be viewed negatively and dimly by the voting public. And that that pressure will be brought to bear. As we stand today, I think these parties still have to feel each other out a bit. There there are going to be many teething problems, huge crises, many blow-ups. But the inevitable hard evolution of things here is that we are moving towards a position where for the next very many decades, it is unlikely that one party is going to command much more than a third of the vote in the country and the and South African governments if we are to have uh, such a thing, in, in the sense of being an effective, a central authority in Pretoria that dictates the, the trajectory of the economy and the policies of foreign policy and the like, uh, that is only going to happen if, if if a great number of these parties are able to work together effectively in in pursuing a policy agenda. Failing that, I mean, you might say, well, this this might sound to you unlikely. I I don't think you should be too down on it. very plausible that it could happen. But where it doesn't happen, what happens is is South Africa just fragments into enclaves where private operators, communities and the like, begin to usurp what would otherwise have been the role of a central uh, uh, coalition government Don't.
1: and action essays prospects what do you think of action essays prospects especially outside of Gauteng?
0: no I mean it's 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 got it's getting going it cracks 20% of some ANC wards uh, um, uh, that's that's that, that that's that's a very very big number particularly if, if, if you if you see the world uh, in, in the kind of um uh, plethora of party breakup that I I described here, getting 20% anywhere in, in South Africa with a sort of 10, 20-year view of its politics means that you you are a very uh, serious player. The ad- advantage ASA uh, has, uh, the advantages are several, and i actually spent the earlier part of this day uh, working through some um, research, uh, new, new research into exactly that, is um, deep disappointment in the ability of the ANC to act or deliver on any of its promises. This is very much in its favor. The perception of the party as a being one that you can uh, trust in and rely on to meet its promises and to do something is uh, now, as, as I read it right now, it's an enormous political asset for ASA. The risk it faces is that it is very new and very young. And if it doesn't live up to the reputation that it has crafted for itself, then the same disillusionment that has befallen the ANC and many other opposition parties will also befall ASA, and it will see its its growth uh, not be as significant as it might have hoped perhaps recede or perhaps uh, fall away very, very quickly. So the, te- the challenge there is achieving results on the ground, and it's gonna be very difficult for any party to be able to claim that kind of um, credit with voters if they are unable to work together effectively with uh, coalition partners to bring about actual change on the ground in communities. And that's going to be the ASA test. If it passes that test, I think its future looks very good. If it and fails that test, I think its growth is stunted.
1: And what do you think um, of the Democratic Alliance's future? It seems like it's hit a sort of a stumbling block that it struggles to get over.
0: Well, I mean, firstly, it's getting 20% in national elections. That means it is a really big and influential party. It commands a particular constituency within the country, and it gets denigrated for that. Only, you know, the, only the, the sort of well-off vote for the DA. I mean, that's that's very unfair to the DA and to the people who vote for it. DA voters are all good, hard-working, well, you know, in the main, good, hard-working, tax-paying, entrepreneurial, employers, service providers, and the like. If the DA can continue to command that constituency and, and achieve nothing else, it it will remain a major political player, influencer and coalition partner in shaping a future South African government. So I, I don't think the idea that, oh, it's hit a stumbling block. The, the, the only way you, someone could think a party with 20% has hit a stumbling block is if you continue to bind the idea that South Africa will be governed by parties that command you know, 50% plus of the vote, and that's not going to happen. So the DA is is big and 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 influential and commands a particularly influential voting block. And if it continues to do that, I think it's it's done in, in that alone extremely well. Part of the model of coalitions perhaps has to be that the voting, there's a spectrum of of voters. And you use what resources you have to command the votes of a slither of that spectrum. And you get those voters out to vote because the, the values and the issues that you speak about resonate with those particular voters. And if you're really good at that, you will get a lot of that spectrum out to vote. After an election, the deal becomes merging those votes in broad coalitions that share sufficient common values to work together for the greater good. If you do that very effectively, what happens is that you leverage a lot of opposition spectrum Whereas let's say ANC or ruling party spectrum, less of that turns out to vote. And on the on the turnout differential, uh, the opposition coalition does relatively well. So I, I think it's wrong to say that every political party in the country needs to represent equally the complete socio-economic and demographic uh, uh, spectrum. Parties should be be, it should be perfectly acceptable that a party focuses on a particular piece of the of the of the voting spectrum, uh, brings that uh, brings those votes out in elections, and looks afterwards to 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 unite those votes with others that share sufficient common ground to to form a government. And and if if that is correct, then it, it is it is quite wrong to condemn the DA because of who its voters are, just in the same way that it would be incorrect to condemn any party because of who uh, its, 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 um, its its voters were.
1: But, but France, isn't there a danger in that idea that if the DA just consolidates around their current base, I mean, you, you've said it for almost 400 years, South Africans have been used to one party, one system, that they start to see that the DA doesn't have any more momentum, that it's not the party to defeat the ANC action, it has more momentum. And if that's the case, they might desert the DA to go to the other party because they see this other party just has that thing that the DA doesn't have anymore.
0: Yeah, possibly. Um, I'm, I'm sure that you're going to see a degree of competition of trading the same opposition votes between the plethora of opposition parties. But, I mean, the, the thesis plays out each, each way around. As if, if, um, if, let's say, one party starts to command a lot of the DA vote, it's going to face the same accusation. You're only uh, interested in representing the views of this particular group. Primarily, I think it depends on how the public comes to understand the purpose of elections and coalitions and the formation of governments. If the idea continues to stand that each party should represent a completely uh, 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 a similar, a broad socioeconomic youth, age, income level, employment, unemployment, racial demographic, then, of course, people are going to continue to feel that the side that they support supporting, uh, there's something wrong with it, because it doesn't properly represent the demographics of the country. But it's an absurd proposition, I mean, if, if if every party pulled out precisely the same demographic in every election, the 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 I mean, the the, the socio-economic basis of that is impossible to to do. You 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 must reach a position where um, differences in it's it's simple. It's a question of consumer choice. Differences in political consumer choice mean that different parties have have. Uh, um, uh, look slightly different in terms of their, or even significantly different in terms of their supporters. What matters in the end, more than anything, is that people don't vote for policies. They don't vote for, for, for the, the narrow uh, ideas of parties, the like. They vote for what the policies say about the values of the politicians themselves, and whether those values align with yours. And if you do very well at that in your slither of spectrum, you will not lose a great deal to your peers. If you do begin to lose a lot to your political peers, what that is in fact telling you, whether a politician chooses to accept the the lesson or not, is, is a different thing. What that's telling you is that your voter base actually does not believe that your values are values that align with it. And You can then say, well, that they, they stole our votes, took them away. They uh, uh, they competing in the same pond. The problem is is with you. And uh, make sure the values resonate and voters understand those, and then you can quite easily continue to command and protect your voter base. And that that idea that you raise uh, that provocatively and correctly, therefore, that well, it looks like one's growing and the other one's not. Uh, that 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 falls away as a secondary issue and shouldn't um, uh, shouldn't undermine the growth of any or standing of any party if that party is able to articulate values that resonate within its base. It's rule one hundred one of of um, this kind of political campaign.
1: And the economic freedom fighters. It seems that it's it's encouraging that in two thousand twenty one, more people decided to stay away rather than vote for that party.
0: Oh, look guys, 10% to uh, 12%, uh, perhaps goes a bit above that. Um, the perception of the EFF is that it is violent and chaotic, and people don't want that. South African public opinion is far more moderate and conservative than some of the fear mongering in our media or that put out by by analysts who, who provide analysis to clients, even if they despite not having any hard political data to base a lot of that analysis on, and the the cap on EFF growth is that it is seen as radical and populist, but the voting public is stayed and and moderate and conservative in the main, and far more enamored with the idea of a broad spectrum of opposition parties working together around sensible policies than they are of the pursuit of any kind of variant of radical economic transformation. Now that, that, that is absolutely definitive in the country's political data. The ANC does, we talked about this earlier, does really well in a decade where it racks up a budget surplus And doesn't expropriate much except for water and and mining rights. So leave those aside. The ANC gets absolutely hammered when it turns to radical left populism, whether it was the NHI stuff or the mining charter stuff or the expropriation without compensation, or it's all all really the same uh, ideological route of, of policy, gets smoked in a country where half of young people don't have a job. More than that young black woman, you can take the unemployment figure to around 75%. The party with the marketing genius of the EFF, uh, the absolutely clear brand, struggles to crack much more than 10% of the vote. It is the most important countervailing force in favor of South Africa's long-term success that its people are very sensible in the choices that they make. And I am not at, at this point, overly concerned that we're going to end up with a, with a disastrous political result because people are led astray into making uh, uh, voting choices that that culminate in, in what we sometimes call, a colleague and I call, national suicide for the country. And I think that goes back to your earlier point as well about, you know, people voting for, Uh, Voting choices being influenced by short-term populist things. It it, it really is a remarkable thing how pragmatic, uh, uh, insightful, uh, uh, well-informed and sensible the South African public is when you interview people about their understanding of the present and the past and their hopes for the future. And if that if that remains the case, you know, then then the prospects for sort of long term reform movement to emerge from a future South African coalition are pretty good. And if you if you ask me and I don't know what my reputation is, uh, some people think it's a bit hard edged and and so on. But if you ask me now. Prospects of coalition appearing, the ANC dying and what I see in South African public opinion. I wonder whether at this moment, right now, stage six, slow shedding It's an amazing thing. Whether we are, in fact, not closer to the reform horizon than we have been at any point in the last 20 years.
1: And what do you think of independent candidates running in 2024? People like Musi Maimane, perhaps Chief Justice Mughueng Mughueng.
0: I think you're going to see, I don't think an independent independent running on their own is going to get terribly far. It's just very difficult to do. It's a nice idea, but it's not going to happen. Uh, What what may happen, though, is that you will see a much expanded series of parties competing in the 2024 election than uh, those that exist at the moment. So I think you're going you're to see a bit more choice. You're going to see a bit more fragmentation. And I think you're going to see, you know, what, what ASA does is a really interesting thing because it's um, it's 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 centre-right. It's right of the spectrum. And I think we're going to start seeing a little crowd of political parties occupying right of centre of the South African political spectrum. The fear always was South Africa goes left. as left wing becomes a sort of Venezuela, And then the, the outside chance of that is definitely there. You'd, you'd be foolish to to write it off. But public opinion, what people want is right of center. And, and, and again, I mean, you go back to the ANC of the budget surplus era. It is the strongest that party has ever been at that very moment. And I think that lesson is starting to be learned. and I think you're going to see uh, political entrepreneurs assembling around that right of centre. Well, what what might, in South Africa's case, rightly be described as, as the growth of black conservative politics in the country. And uh, if if that is right, let's do a lot of ifs if that is correct, if I'm right on where public opinion is, and I've, I've done it for, for for many years, public opinion, I'm certain I am right. And if I'm right that the ANC is is kaput, and I think that one's right as well, and if we're right that we're going to see this assembly of uh, of, of centre right parties begin to to expand across that part of the spectrum. And if parties become comfortable with the fact that you can command a narrow constituency, there's nothing wrong with that. You bring it to government later, make a deal with everyone else. And if the maturity to run the coalitions that follow from those deals emerges, then you can begin to substantiate the, the quite dramatic point I, I made you a minute or two ago, that arguably South Africa now is much closer to substantive reform than it has been at, at any point in, in really a great many years.
1: Exciting stuff. And I, I think people struggle to find anything online where you've been wrong. But, France load shedding, How I, I think it's been almost two decades now. How do we still have load shedding? How, how is the state incapable of solving this problem?
0: It's the same reason why say so A didn't work out and, and why many municipalities, if you read the most recent stuff from the Auditor General again, are a bit of a, a disa- disaster. It's 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 an approach to management that sees the removal of, of competent people and their replacement with people who are less competent, and then the pursuit of the extraction of wealth in order to feed rate deployment networks. That's the formula, three steps. And wherever you apply that formula, you are going to, to have a, a poor result. And that's what's, what happened at, at Eskim as well. The trend line on Eskim, none of the come is a surprise to anyone. The, 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 the trend line on Eskim's uh, production of electricity, there's a number that electricity people use called the energy availability factor. And it measures what proportion of potential uh, of, of installed capacity is actually put out into the economy as electricity. And I don't know, 10 or 15 years back, the figure for Eskom was over 80%. So of all the power plants that Eskom had, about 80% of that potential energy was actually produced and went into the economy. The rest was had, had broken down or was down for maintenance. So it's 80% 10, 15 years ago. The figure today, I think, is has now slipped to under 60%, and it's, it's pretty much a straight line. And that that straight line tells you where things are headed. We have installed capacity today. Uh, that's that's potential, I think, in Eskom, about just over 40,000 megawatts. We've got production of um, just under 25,000 megawatts. I just sort of speak off the top of my head here, but it's close enough. He has an amazing uh, uh, number. My estimate of this data uh, that that I followed very closely, and and I mean the electricity production trend lines for you know, well understood, is that by by 2040, if South Africa wishes to aspire to be a high growth emerging market, so economic growth rate of around five percent sustained the generating shortfall is going to be 40,000 megawatts or thereabouts. It is bigger than the entire generating uh, actual production uh, figure, the availability figure that we see today. To address that, we need to commission an additional 40,000 megawatts over the next 20 years, ideally starting this morning. Um, doing that in, in 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 with regard to two sources of electricity, one is about twenty thousand megawatts of wind and solar that that run in the day. But storage is difficult and expensive. And behind that, this is a new idea. South Africa needs to become the global pioneer of small modular reactor technology. These are small nuclear reactors, much smaller than anything that has uh, to date been thought of as a nuclear power plant. They are an amazing technology. Russia is the global leader in this. It's a 50-year-old technology in in Russia. Uh, It comes out of old Russian icebreakers. The first commercial uh, Russian uh, small modular reactor is at Pevek on the East uh, Siberian in the sea, it floats on a barge. And a Russian gold miner has just commissioned uh, four of these things. Hitachi, Toshiba, and uh, Rolls-Royce are amongst uh, 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 Asian Western firms that are pioneering this kind of technology. And what makes it so compelling is that the reactors can be built offsite and shipped to be installed. By the end of this decade, production time, from construction to installation, should be as short as 36 months. The reactors uh, uh, have fail safes and the like, which mean that they are extremely safe and do not need the same fallout or containment uh, uh, um, uh, safety sort of uh, measures that might apply to traditional nuclear reactors. They can be retrofitted into existing power plants. Uh, so a coal plant could be retrofitted with a small modular reactor. They can be set up in, in series uh, so that they, um, are, you, you're able to scale uh, a delivery. They can be hooked into micro grids. So in distant rural communities or cities might, might commission them directly. And you don't necessarily have to pay for them either. If you are able to agree to um, take off agreements with providers who, who install them then on what's called the BOO principle, build, own and operate. So the, the, the reactor uh, provider builds it, installs it, sets it up and runs it for 20 years uh, without any capital outlay from, from the South African uh, government authority or a city. Based on a take-off agreement that the power will be bought at a at a certain rate, if we become the the global pioneer in this kind of technology because it's perfectly suited to South Africa, then matched with the with twenty thousand megawatts of solar and wind, we have a um, a good way. Uh, we 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 will by twenty forty have the uh, energy infrastructure to sustain very high levels of economic growth.
1: Yeah, great. I'm, that sounds fascinating. I hope the climate change fanatics don't try to put an end to that. But, France, what I don't understand is, I mean, you can literally see the results. The government can literally see the results of their policies in terms of electricity. I mean, the other things might be indirect, but they can see the lights are not working. How is the ideology so powerful? How, how, how does the one, how does the person not try to think, okay, We need to try something else. This is not working
0: This is the the best question. And I'll tell you the answer. It's it's absolutely understood. In private, if you brief um, senior officials of the government or the ruling party, they're devastated by... The, by, by devastated by low growth, absence of investment, uh, um, uh, fearful, terrified of the political consequences. Absolutely true. Um, the, the idea that, that you know, these are morons, they don't understand the problem, they can't see why someone must tell, a lot of business people, say, we can't, can't you tell the government that this is very bad? So they understand it better than you, much better than you. Because it's so real for them. But they they persist with it regardless. If you understand that and and have no trouble with, with grasping and holding that view and don't feel that you you have gone mad, can't no one can think like this. If you can grasp the view, you do you you're very well positioned to anticipate what comes next for South Africa. It's, it's the story of the scorpion and the frog that sits on a river bank. And the scorpion says to the frog, it wants to cross to the other side and can the frog give it a lift on its back? And, and the frog says, no, you're mad. You'll sting me and I'll, I'll die. And the scorpion says, no, no, but you know, think this through. If I sting you and you sink, I'll drown. It makes no sense. And the frog says, well, you know, that actually think about it that way. You're right. So the frog says, well, hop on. And halfway across the raging torrent, the scorpion stings the frog and the frog says, what the hell was that? And the scorpion says, uh, I'm a scorpion. And that's what scorpions do. And if, if at this point you still are unable to understand what the ANC does, then I think you're gonna have a very hard time anticipating what comes next. And that, that is the answer to your very important question, because it's on that question and the inability to understand the answer that so many observers of South Africa investors or the like remain often confused at the events around them. Grasp that confusion disappears and the uh, road to seeing what comes next becomes very, very clear.
1: No, no, no. I understand the problem. I understand the ideology. I've, I've even interviewed Rob Davis, the former Minister of Trade and Industry. And it's just yeah, it's just so fascinating for me, that sort of cognitive dissidence. You, you, you see the problem in front of you, but you can't seem to understand. You need to try something different. I mean, it's just that capitalism is so um, a demon in their eyes, in their minds. They, they can't for one moment
0: consider it. But you're asking someone to do a very difficult thing. It's almost an article of faith, ideology, and what you believe in. Because it's about the values that you believe are good and right and just. And what you're asking is you're, you're asking people who grew up believing in something to admit that everything they've dedicated themselves to was wrong and that they need to surrender all of that and embrace the ideas that they regarded as, as those of their rivals and adversaries. And it's a hard thing to do. Um, for, for many people, just too hard. Because it's it's not it's, it's, not a, uh, it's not just a simple ideology. These aren't flippant beliefs. These aren't uh, uh, lightly held. These are deeply held value-driven, and the conflict between that and and the facts on the ground and the consequences of those facts uh, bring about the kind of uh, uh, paralysis and results that we see in 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 the country around us. Now, this is how you can have the the what will become one of the classic Ramaposa sort of positions: expropriation that brings about more investment. Or, or higher wages in a country where the skills base fails to improve that brings about more demand for employment. It's, it's an, this is how we're going to have an austerity program and a sovereign wealth fund at the same time. And, and when you begin to see the pursuit of such against mutually annihilating ideas, what you are actually observing is a very deeply held ideology running into an increasingly deeply held fear of the consequences of the facts as they can be observed by the politician. And the way that plays out is that the confusion and internal inconsistencies deepen and accelerate to the point of the demise of the government or the political party that that held those contradictions um, in, in its efforts to govern the society around it.
1: Absolutely, yeah, it's, it's a religion. And the encouraging thing is because they're so true to that religion, it just hastens their demise to get the people in charge to do the right things. But France, last topic, Cape independence. Do you think, what do you think of this movement? Is it still, do you think it's uh, 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 something that can succeed?
0: If the national coalitions fail to take root, then I think we will see a fragmentation of South Africa beyond just Cape independence, just one area of that. It's a very young country, 110 years old now, 11, 12 years old, uh, since the, the, the coming together of the two British colonies and the two poor republics. For much of that hundred and something years, it, it hasn't been a, a tremendous success in terms of bringing about sustained improvements in the living standards of the great majority of people. If the coalitions fail, because the leadership behind them cannot get over their personal animosities and allow these to sabotage the coalitions, what we will then see is the ultimate test of the decision on union. And we'll fail that test and the country will fragment in various ways. It will You will see uh, enclaves or citadels where particularly strong communities increasingly usurp what were once the functions of the state. That's all to be seen all over the place. There are three times as many now security officers, private security people in the country as policemen. And 25 years ago, there were equal numbers. So that's, that's that, and that's a very important one because the definition of a state is a monopoly on the use of violence. And that has now been surrendered to the private sector. It's not just the middle classes. Vigilantism in, in townships in the Cape has been particularly well studied. It's the same thing. Communities are resorting to security measures outside those provided by the state because the state's security measures are un, don't work independent schooling and the like if if that trend, uh, electricity provision we're now stage six then we go to stage eight and after stage eight it's the 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 grid may in fact turn off uh, because there's too little I'm not an electrical engineer there's too little electricity to stabilize the thing in it and we have a national blackout. And you'll see ahead of that uh, risk, as, as that risk begins to rise, it's the odds of it, private uh, uh, actors beginning to increasingly take responsibility for their own electricity provision. Our cities and so on will later get there. These These little nukes will be very, very useful in doing that. So you'll have this fragmentation. Elite communities will build these walled cities and live within them as, is happening around the country already for many years. Uh, in poorer communities, gangs and gang culture, as is the uh, good examples the sort of favelas of South America, will become the dominant authority. In deeper rural South Africa, traditional leaders might start to play that role. In, in far flung outposts, such as in Pumalanga, where the ANC is likely to continue to stand pretty strong even after surrendering its national majority you might have such uh, political fiefdoms being created. And one element of that fragmentation might be that some regions of the country try and go to alone in the fullness of time. I don't think the first one will be the Cape though. If that happens, I think the first one is in the town. And when some of the, the Cape independence people are very enthusiastic about their idea uh, came to uh, ask for review. view, I said to him, I think that if you ever achieve what you're attempting to achieve the route to your success will lead through ulundi and it's Natal that will go first and after that it's it's a free-for-all. I don't think these these even if it's Cape Independence it's 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 going to be the old-fashioned idea of, of 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 a line on a map and and on that side of it you live in the one and on that side you live in the another. It will be a more uh, a kind of virtual independence, uh, independence of electricity provision, uh, independence of currency and the potential of cryptos to do that and, 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 and free, liberate uh, South Africans from dependency on what will by that stage be a rapidly uh, weakening uh, uh, currency and the ravages of what a central bank might be attempting to do. Um, I think you'll see people more working for employers virtually anywhere in the world and and earning, you know, uh, uh, incomes in dollars or in some digital currencies. And these, these communities will take care of their own services and the like. And at that point, do you really need to draw a line on the map and say... Here is the Cape and, and over this stream is it's a very old fashioned idea that a sort of water course or mountain range determines uh, which people live on which side of it. So I, I think failing, uh, let me uh, say that, failing a successful national coalition, we will see a virtual fragmentation of South Africa, the, the unwinding of the decision on union. And there will be scores of different manifestations of how that unwinding or fragmentation plays out. And for resilient communities and quite tough people, uh, those communities, some of them will, will craft a very comfortable and successful and stable long-term communities uh, within what, what were once the boundaries of the unitary South African state.
1: But France, the Cape independence people argued that federalism isn't good enough because it doesn't allow you to collect your own taxes. That's fundamentally the problem. If, if the Western Cape cannot collect its own taxes, isn't in charge of collecting its own taxes, it won't be able to pursue many of those enclave ideas like um, hiring your own police officers, taking charge of your local community, that sort of thing.
0: Well, yes, that's right. But, I mean, it, it only that, that point only goes so far. Um, private communities in South Africa have already hired their own police officers. They didn't need a, a new regional government to do that for them. They, 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 they did so all on their own. Poor communities that resorted to vigilantism did exactly the same thing. The, the, the taxes paid in the Western Cape are the same as those paid in the rest of the country, but people flock to the Western Cape because it's not just tax-funded government services that make one's life better. It's the fact that it's a more innovative economy and uh, entrepreneurs are moving towards it, which means that the opportunities for poor people to find eke out a living or find employment are very much better. And, and in all, all those respects... You can uh, uh, still end with a result where a particular region of the country develops in, in, in a very much more positive and rapid uh, uh, way than its neighboring provinces uh, without the presence of a central authority uh, directing uh, the, the activities of that of that particular region, and I, I think here, it's where 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 when you think about enclaves or, or or federalism or the like, you you've got to have this 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 debate in your mind about whether the old school idea, you know, Ian Smith saying we're going to go it alone, and and here's our new flag, and and here's our new map, and I'll I'll show you where you live and and who your government is. I think that's a bit old fashioned when you think about about federalism. I think. Modern federalism is a virtual tech-driven thing. It's a mindset of its residents more than anything else. And that and that 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 asking these questions about tax and the like, they're good questions, legitimate questions. But I think you, you, you I think you're thinking about yesterday's. Um, I think you're thinking about yesterday's models of 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 federalism and the like and we might hear i think we are already far advanced in pioneering a different model of of what is a a similar concept
1: but but france how far can you push that coexistence between paying taxes and paying for private security at the same time i mean obviously that's eating at your salary i mean eventually a person's gonna have to say okay I need i need to stop paying taxes and how do you reach that point and should we reach that point i mean that that's a discussion also to be had
0: well i don't I, I think we are in some respects I'm, I'm not a fan of a tax boycott or anything of that nature i i think it's politically counterproductive i think for 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 the theft i'm, I'm busy with a, a report now for someone that that estimates that a quarter of of national revenue is stolen so <laughs> It's amazing. But three quarters of national revenue is probably not stuck. If you want to see the, the, the upside of things. And a lot of that goes to sustaining the living standards of desperately poor people. Uh, uh, failing which the, the ter- internal stability of the country would be very much worse. I'm not a fan of a tax boycott or anything of that nature. But I'll tell you this, the policies of the ANC in terms of what they've done to growth. Have had the effect of hammering national revenue to a far greater extent than any tax boycott could ever have achieved. So you, you, the, the same effect begins to play out: you starve the state, you starve the state of resources uh, in order to implement uh, the resources it requires to implement its policies. Um, and and in the, the irony in this case is it's it's the government that. Set up the revenue decline through its own policies, and not some external factor seeking uh, a player seeking to undermine the, the the state itself. The hard reality, therefore, is that if you wish to remain here, if this is if this is where you're going to be, you're probably going to face this question of double taxation. Uh, a portion of your income is going to go into state taxation. A portion of your income. Is going to go into paying privately for all the things the state does not provide. If that's a too tough equation, I mean, the the options are are exiting the country, essentially. But um, if you are willing to pay that price, I, I think many South Africans might believe that the rewards of remaining here, the the nature of the society, the opportunities that it presents is that's a price that they're willing to pay and, and they'll remain. And I think they're going to continue to, to face double taxation for it. You know, I think anyone now, beginnings of their careers, mid-level careers, uh, that's not going to change for them uh, throughout their working lives.
1: Franz, one last question. I know you're a busy guy. I don't want to take up too much of your time you've mentioned that the route to cape independence might lead through a kzn and what scenario do you think um the zulu kingdom might succeed how do you see that scenario playing out
0: well i think all that happens is uh are likely uh, how would it happen is um we we'd have a few more waves of of the sort of low key insurrection stuff uh, that that we saw you know, what what was it about a year ago or so in Natal, and and the, the 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 central state would simply lose what remains of its authority, and a more powerful regional actors and leaders will emerge, and in Natal it probably takes the form of a of a sort of a, um, a, a, a sort of low-key putsch uh, of sorts and installs a new administration. The Western Cape, but I think it goes virtually, it's a virtual um, uh, fragmentation, or uh, perhaps in, in the fullness of time, some form of, of referendum or so. But I think the way it happens in Natal, it's a few more waves of this kind of insurrection. And uh, one of them culminates in a, you in know, a, in, a, in a putsch against the provincial state and a new, authority is installed in its place i think that's how it would probably happen in, in natal well
1: france thank you so much for making it such an interesting conversation as always i want to give you one last opportunity if you want to answer a question you hope i asked you or if there's something you just want to add before i conclude
0: no no i'm good thank you very much
1: Oh well, France, thank you so much to our viewers. Show your appreciation by liking this video, sharing it as widely as possible, and subscribing to our channel. My name is Donalds and you've been watching Worldview.